Chapter Twenty Five of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. What are ancient pistol and you friends yet? Shakespeare. The curtain of our imperfect drama must fall, to rise upon another scene. The time is advanced several days during which very material changes had occurred in the situation of the actors. The hour is noon, and the place an elevated plain, that rose at no great distance from the water, somewhat abruptly from a fertile bottom, which stretched along the margin of one of the numberless water-courses of that region. The river took its rise near the base of the Rocky Mountains, and, after washing a vast extent of plain, it mingled its waters with a still larger stream, to become finally lost in the turbid current of the Missouri. The landscape was changed materially for the better, though the hand which had impressed so much of the desert on the surrounding region had laid a portion of its power on this spot. The appearance of vegetation was, however, less discouraging than in the more sterile waste of the rolling prairies. Clusters of trees were scattered in greater profusion, and a long outline of ragged forests marked the northern boundary of the view. Here and there on the bottom were to be seen the evidences of a hasty and imperfect culture of such indigenous vegetables as were of a quick growth, and which were known to flourish without the aid of art in deep and alluvial soils. On the very edge of what might be called the tableland were pitched the hundred lodges of a horde of wandering Sioux. Their light tenements were arranged without the least attention to order proximity to the water seemed to be the only consideration which had been consulted in their disposition, nor had even this important convenience been always regarded. While most of the lodges stood along the brow of the plain, many were to be seen at greater distances, occupying such places as had first pleased the capricious eyes of the untutored owners. The encampment was not military, nor in the slightest degree protected from surprise by its position or defenses. It was open on every side, and on every side as accessible as any other point in those wastes, if the imperfect and natural obstruction offered by the river be accepted. In short, the place bore the appearance of having been tenanted no longer than its occupants had originally intended, while it was not wanting in the signs of readiness for a hasty or even a compelled departure. This was the temporary encampment of that portion of his people who had long been hunting under the direction of Matori on those grounds which separated the stationary abodes of his nation from those of the warlike tribes of the Pawnees. The lodges were tents of skin, high, conical, and of the most simple and primitive construction. The shield, the quiver, the lance, and the bow of its master were to be seen suspended from a light post before the opening, or door, of each habitation. The different domestic implements of his one, two, or three wives, as the brave was of greater or lesser renown, were carelessly thrown at its side, and here and there the round, full, patient countenance of an infant might be found peeping from its comfortless wrappers of bark, as suspended by a deerskin thong from the same post. It rocked in the passing air. Children of a larger growth were tumbling over each other in piles, the males, even at that early age, making themselves distinguished for that species of domination which, in after life, was to mark the vast distinction between the sexes. 
Youths were in the bottom, essaying their juvenile powers in curbing the wild steeds of their fathers, while here and there a truant girl was to be seen stealing from her labors to admire their fierce and impatient daring. Thus far the picture was the daily exhibition of an encampment confident in its security, but immediately in front of the lodges was a gathering that seemed to forebode some movements of more than usual interest. A few of the withered and remorseless crones of the band were clustering together in readiness to lend their fell voices, if needed, to aid in exciting their descendants to an exhibition which their depraved taste coveted, as the luxurious Roman dame witnessed the struggles and agony of the gladiator. The men were subdivided into groups, assorted according to the deeds and reputations of the several individuals of whom they were composed. They, who were of that equivocal age which admitted them to the hunts, while their discretion was still too doubtful to permit them to be trusted on the warpath, hung around the skirts of the whole, catching from the fierce models before them that gravity of demeanor and restraint of manner, which in time was to become so deeply engrafted in their own characters. A few of the still older class, and who had heard the whoop in anger, were a little more presuming, pressing nigher to the chiefs, though far from presuming to mingle in their counsels, sufficiently distinguished by being permitted to catch the wisdom which fell from the lips so venerated. The ordinary warriors of the band were still less diffident, not hesitating to mingle among the chiefs of lesser note, though far from assuming the right to dispute the sentiments of any established brave, or to call in question the prudence of measures that were recommended by the more gifted counsellors of the nation. Among the chiefs themselves there was a singular compound of exterior. They were divided into two classes, those who were mainly indebted to their influence to physical causes and to deeds in arms, and those who had become distinguished rather for their wisdom than for their services in the field. The former was by far the most numerous and the most important class. They were men of stature and mien, whose stern countenances were often rendered doubly imposing by those evidences of their valor, which had been roughly traced on their lineaments by the hands of their enemies. That class which had gained its influence by a moral ascendancy was extremely limited. They were uniformly to be distinguished by the quick and lively expression of their eyes, by the air of distrust that marked their movements, and occasionally by the vehemence of their utterance in those sudden outbreakings of the mind, by which their present consultations were, from time to time, distinguished. In the very center of a ring, formed by these chosen counselors, was to be seen the person of the disquieted but seemingly calm Matori. There was a conjunction of all the several qualities of the others in his person and character. Mind as well as matter had contributed to establish his authority. His scars were as numerous and deep as those of the whitest head in his nation. His limbs were in their greatest vigor. His courage at its fullest height. Endowed with this rare combination of moral and physical influence, the keenest eye in all that assembly was wont to lower before his threatening glance. Courage and cunning had established his ascendancy, and it had been rendered in some degree sacred by time. He knew so well how to unite the powers of reason and force, that in a state of society which admitted of a greater display of his energies, the Teton would in all probability have been both a conqueror and a despot. A little apart from the gathering of the band was to be seen a set of beings of an entirely different origin, taller and far more muscular in their persons, the lingering vestiges of their Saxon and Norman ancestry were yet to be found beneath the swarthy complexions which had been bestowed by an American sun. 
it would have been a curious investigation for one skilled in such an inquiry to have traced those points of difference by which the offspring of the most western european was still to be distinguished from the descendant of the most remote asiatic now that the two in the revolutions of the world were approximating in their habits their residence and not a little in their characters the group of whom we write was composed of the family of the squatter they stood indolent lounging and inert as usual when no immediate demand was made on their dormant energies clustered in front of some four or five habitations of skin for which they were indebted to the hospitality of their teton allies the terms of their unexpected confederation were sufficiently explained by the presence of the horses and domestic cattle that were quietly grazing on the bottom beneath under the jealous eyes of the spirited hetty their wagons were drawn about the lodges in a sort of irregular barrier which at once manifested that their confidence was not entirely restored while on the other hand their policy or indolence prevented any very positive exhibition of distrust there was a singular union of passive enjoyment and of dull curiosity slumbering in every dull countenance as each of the party stood leaning on his rifle regarding the movements of the sioux conference still no sign of expectation or interest escaped from the youngest among them the whole appearing to emulate the most phlegmatic of their savage allies in an exhibition of patience they rarely spoke and when they did it was in some short and contemptuous remark which served to put the physical superiority of a white man and that of an indian in a sufficiently striking point of view in short the family of ishmael appeared now to be in the plenitude of an enjoyment which depended on inactivity but which was not entirely free from certain confused glimmerings of a perspective in which their security stood in some little danger of a rude interruption from teton treachery abram alone formed a solitary exception to this state of equivocal repose after a life passed in the commission of a thousand mean and insignificant villainies, the mind of the kidnapper had become hardy enough to attempt the desperate adventure which has been laid before the reader in the course of the narrative. His influence over the bolder but less active spirit of Ishmael was far from great, and had not the latter been suddenly expelled from a fertile bottom of which he had taken possession with intent to keep it, without much deference to the forms of law he would never have succeeded in enlisting the husband of his sister in an enterprise that required so much decision and forethought their original success and subsequent disappointment had been seen and abram now sat apart plotting the means by which he might secure to himself the advantages of his undertaking which he perceived were each moment becoming more uncertain through the open admiration of matori for the innocent subject of his villainy we shall leave him to his vacillating and confused expedients in order to pass to the description of certain other personages in the drama there was still another corner of the picture that was occupied on a little bank at the extreme right of the encampment lay the forms of middleton and paul their limbs were painfully bound with thongs cut from the skin of a bison while by a sort of refinement and cruelty they were so placed that each could see a reflection of his own misery in the case of his neighbor Within a dozen yards of them a post was set firmly in the ground, and against it was bound the light and a powell-like person of Hardheart. Between the two stood the trapper, deprived of his rifle, his pouch, and his horn, but otherwise left in a sort of a contemptuous liberty. 
Some five or six young warriors, however, with quivers at their backs and long tough bows dangling from their shoulders, who stood with grave watchfulness at no great distance from the spot, sufficiently proclaim how fruitless any attempt to escape on the part of one so aged and so feeble might prove. Unlike the other spectators of the important conference, these individuals were engaged in a discourse that for them contained an interest of its own. "'Captain,' said the bee-hunter, with an expression of comical concern, that no misfortune could depress in one of his buoyant feelings, "'do you really find that a cursed strap of untanned leather cutting into your shoulder, or is it only the ticking of my own arm that I feel?' "'When the spirit suffers so deeply, the body is insensible to pain,' returned a more refined, though scarcely so spirited, Middleton. "'Would to heaven that some of my trusty artillerists might fall upon this accursed encampment!' You might as well wish that these Teton lodges were so many hives of hornets, and that the insects would come forth and battle with yonder tribe of half-naked savages. Then, chuckling with his own conceit, the bee-hunter turned away from his companion, and sought a momentary relief from his misery, by imagining that so wild an idea might be realized, and fancying the manner in which the attack would upset even the well-established patience of an Indian. Middleton was glad to be silent but the old man who had listened to their words drew a little nigher and continued the discourse. "'Here is likely to be a merciless and hellish business,' he said, shaking his head in a manner to prove that even his experience was at a loss for a remedy in so trying a dilemma. Our pawnee friend is already staked for the torture, and I well know by the eye and the countenance of the great Sioux that he is leading on the temper of his people to further enormities.' Harky, old trapper,' said Paul, writhing in his bonds to catch a glimpse of the other's melancholy face. "'You are skilled in Indian tongues, and know somewhat of Indian deviltries. Go you to the council, and tell their chiefs of my name, that is to say, in the name of Paul Hover, of the state of Kentucky, that provided they will guarantee the safe return of one Ellen Wade into the states, they are welcome to take his scalp when, in such a manner as best suits their amusements.' or, if so be, they will not trade on these conditions, you may throw in an hour or two of torture beforehand, in order to sweeten the bargain to their damnable appetites. Ah, lad, it is little they would hearken to such an offer, knowing as they do that you are already like a bear in a trap, as little able to fight as to fly. But be not downhearted, for the color of white man is sometimes his death-warrant among these far tribes of savages, and sometimes his shield." Though they love us not, cunning often ties their hands. Could the red nations work their will, trees would surely be growing again on the ploughed fields of America, and woods would be whitened with Christian bones. No one can doubt that, who knows the quality of the love which a redskin bears a pale-face. But they have counted our numbers until their memories fail them, and they are not without their policy. Therefore is our fate unsettled. But I fear me there is small hope left for the Pawnee. As the old man concluded, he walked slowly towards the subject of his latter observation, taking his post at no great distance from his side. Here he stood, observing such a silence and mien as became him to manifest to a chief so renowned and so situated as his captive associate. But the eye of Hardheart was fastened on the distance, and his whole air was that of one whose thoughts were entirely removed from the present scene. "'The Sioux are in council on my brother,' the trapper at length observed, when he found he could only attract the other's attention by speaking. The young partisan turned his head with a calm smile as he answered, They are counting the scuffs over the lodge of Hartheart. No doubt, no doubt, 
their tempers begin to mount as they remember the number of tetons you have struck and better would it be for you now had more of your days been spent in chasing the deer and fewer on the warpath then some childless mother of this tribe might take you in place of her lost son and your time would be filled in peace does my father think that a warrior can ever die the master of life does not open his hand to take away his gifts again when he wants his young men he calls them and they go but the redskin he has once breathed on lies forever ay this is a more comfortable and a more humble faith than that which yonder heartless teton harbors there is something in these loops which opens my inmost heart to them they seem to have the courage ay and the honesty too of delawares of the hills and this lad it is wonderful it is very wonderful but the age and the eye and the limbs are as if they might have been brothers tell me pawnee have you ever in your traditions heard of a mighty people who once lived on the shores of the salt lake hard by the rising sun the earth is white by people of the color of my father nay nay i speak not now of any strollers who have crept into the land to rob the lawful owners of their birthright but of a people who are or rather were what with nature and what with paint red as the berry on the bush i have heard the old men say that there were bands who hid themselves in the woods under the rising sun because they dared not come upon the open prairies to fight with men do not your traditions tell you of the greatest the bravest and the wisest nation of redskins that the wakanda has ever breathed upon hardhart raised his head with a loftiness and dignity that even his bonds could not repress as he answered has age blinded my father or does he see so many sioux that he believes there are no longer any pawnees ah such is mortal vanity and pride exclaimed a disappointed old man in english nature is as strong in a redskin as in the bosom of a man of white gifts now would a delaware conceit himself far mightier than a pawnee just as a pawnee boasts himself to be of the princess of the earth and so it was atween the frenchers of the canadas and the red-coated english that the king did use to send into the states when states they were not but out crying and petitioning provinces they fought and they fought and what marvellous boastings did they give forth to the world of their own valour and victories while both parties forgot to name the humble soldier of the land who did the real service but who as he was not privileged then to smoke at the great council fire of his nation seldom heard of his deeds after they were once bravely done when the old man had thus given vent to the nearly dormant but far from extinct military pride that had so unconsciously led him into the very error he deprecated his eye which had begun to quicken and glimmer with some of the ardour of his youth softened and turned its anxious look on the devoted captive whose countenance was also restored to its former cold look of abstraction and thought young warrior he continued in a voice that was growing tremulous i have never been father or brother the wakanda made me to live alone he never tied my heart to house or field by the cords with which the men of my race are bound to their lodges if he had i should not have journeyed so far and seen so much but i have tarried along among a people who lived in those woods you mention and much reason did i find to imitate their courage and love their honesty the master of life has made us all pawnee with a feeling for our kind i never was a father but well do i know what is the love of one 
You are like a lad I valued, and I had even begun to fancy that some of his blood might be in your veins. But what matters that? You are a true man, as I know by the way in which you keep your faith, and honesty is a gift too rare to be forgotten. My heart yearns to you, boy, and gladly would I do you good. The youthful warrior listened to the words which came from the lips of the other, with a force and simplicity that established their truth, and he bowed his head on his naked bosom in testimony of the respect with which he met the proffer. Then, lifting his dark eye to the level of the view, he seemed to be again considering of things removed from every personal consideration. The trapper, who well knew how high the pride of a warrior would sustain him, in those moments he believed to be his last, awaited the pleasure of his young friend with a meekness and patience that he had acquired by his association with that remarkable race. At length the gaze of the Pawnee began to waver, and then quick, flashing glances were turned from the countenance of the old man to the air, and from the air to his deeply marked lineaments again, as if the spirit which governed their movements was beginning to be troubled. Father, the young brave finally answered in a voice of confidence and kindness, I have heard your words. They have gone in at my ears and are now within me. The white-headed long-knife has no son. The hard heart of the Pawnees is young, but he is already the oldest of his family. He found the bones of his father on the hunting ground of the Osages, and he has sent them to the prairies of the good spirits. No doubt the great chief, his father, has seen them and knows what is part of himself. But the Wakanda will soon call to us both. You, because you have seen all that is to be seen in this country, and Hardheart, because he has need of a warrior who is young. There is no time for the Pawnee to show the pale-face the duty that a son owes to his father. Old as I am, and miserable and helpless as I now stand, to what I once was, I may live to see the sun go down in the prairie. Does my son expect to do as much? The Tetons are counting the scalps on my lodge returned a young chief with a smile whose melancholy was singularly illuminated by a gleam of triumph. And they find them many, too many for the safety of its owner, while he is in their revengeful hands. My son is not a woman, and he looks on the path he is about to travel with a steady eye. Has he nothing to whisper in the ears of his people before he starts? These legs are old, but they may yet carry me to the forks of the Loop River. "'Tell them that the hard heart has tied a knot in his wampum for every Teton,' burst from the lips of the captive, with that vehemence with which a sudden passion is known to break through the barriers of artificial restraint. "'If he meets one of them all in the prairies of the Master of Life, his heart will become Sue.' "'Ah, that feeling would be a dangerous companion for a man with white gifts to start with on so solemn a journey,' muttered the old man in English. This is not what the good Moravians said to the councils of the Delawares, nor what is so often preached to the white skins in the settlements, though, to the shame of the cower be it said, it is so little heeded. Pawnee, I love you, but being a Christian man, I cannot be the runner to bear such a message. If my father is afraid the Tetons will hear him, let him whisper it softly to our old men. As for fear, young warrior, it is no more the shame of a pale-face than of a redskin. The Wakanda teaches us to love the life he gives, but it is as men love their hunts and their dogs and their carbines, and not with the doting that a mother looks upon her infant. The master of life will not have to speak aloud twice when he calls my name. 
I am as ready to answer it now as I shall be tomorrow, or at any time it may please his mighty will. But what is a warrior without his traditions? Mine forbid me to carry your words. The chief made a dignified motion of assent, and here there was great danger that those feelings of confidence which had been so singularly awakened would as suddenly subside, but the heart of the old man had been too sensibly touched, through long dormant but still living recollections, to break off the communication so rudely. He pondered for a minute, and then, bending his look wistfully on his young associate, again continued, "'Each warrior must be judged by his gifts. I have told my son what I cannot, but let him open his ears to what I can do. An elk shall not measure the prairie much swifter than these old legs, if the Pawnee will give me a message that a white man may bear.' "'Let the pale-face listen!' returned the other, after hesitating a single instant longer, under a lingering sensation of his former disappointment. He will stay here till the Sioux have done counting the scalps of their dead warriors. He will wait until they have tried to cover the heads of eighteen Tetons with the skin of one Pawnee. He will open his eyes wide, that he may see the place where they bury the bones of a warrior. All this will I, and may I do, noble boy. He will mark the spot, that he may know it. No fear, no fear that I shall forget the place, interrupted the other, whose fortitude began to give way under so trying an exhibition of calmness and resignation. Then I know that my father will go to my people. His head is gray, and his words will not be blown away with the smoke. Let him get on my lodge and call the name of Hardheart aloud. No Pawnee will be deaf. Then let my father ask for the colt that has never been ridden, but which is sleeker than the buck and swifter than the elk. I understand you, boy, I understand you, interrupted the attentive old man, and what you say shall be done, aye, and well done, too, or I am but little skilled in the wishes of a dying Indian. And when my young men have given my father the halter of the colt, he will lead him by a crooked path to the grave of Hardheart? Will I? Aye, that I will, brave youth, though the winter covers these plains and banks of snow, and the sun is hidden as much by day as by night. To the head of the holy spot will I lead the beast, and place him with his eyes looking towards the setting sun. And my father will speak to him, and tell him that the master, who has fed him since he was fouled, has now need of him. That too will I do, though the Lord he knows that I shall hold discourse with a horse, not with any vain conceit that my words will be understood, but only to satisfy the cravings of Indian superstition. Hector, my pup, what think you, dog, of talking to a horse? Let the gray beard speak to him with the tongue of a Pawnee, interrupted the young victim, perceiving that his companion had used an unknown language for the preceding speech. My son's will shall be done, and these old hands, which I had hoped had nearly done with bloodshed, whether it be of man or beast, will I slay the animal on your grave. It is good, returned the other, a gleam of satisfaction flitting across his features. Hardheart will ride his horse to the blessed prairies, and he will come before the master of life like a chief. The sudden and striking change which instantly occurred in the countenance of the Indian caused the trapper to look aside when he perceived that the conference of the Sioux had ended, and that Matori, attended by one or two of the principal warriors, was deliberately approaching his intended victim. End of chapter 25